0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Non-Star Podcast. This is episode 7. Today we have with us Kuntal Malia. Uh, She has over 16 years of experience working in the USA across uh, analytics, consulting, and marketing. Uh, She's worked both in large corporations and startups. Uh, So she's pretty much seen it all uh, back in the States. Uh, She's now back in India for the past four years building out a fashion tech company out of Mumbai. Uh, And here is our informal chat.
1: I uh, love anything that's casual and uh, informal. As you can see, I'm pretty much in that flow of uh, Saturday morning and I'm just kind of, you know, uh, let's just roll with it. I am running a fashion tech company right now that uses AI and a human stylist to just simply make it easier for users to find clothes that they love and that fit them well. Uh, But if you kind of uh, go back, you'll see a lot of my work is actually in building algorithms and uh, using data and uh, that frankly speaking is what excites me and gets me uh, intellectually very charged up not just building models for the heck of it i think with all the technology we have now it's very easy for i want to say even a monkey to do it uh, but you know it's very easy for anyone to do it i think the biggest challenge you have now is how do you actually think about using data in a smart way uh, what do you actually do that will help the business to kind of move forward uh, or you know, maybe at least give an insight or something different to think about. And those aspects uh, are what have challenged me from day one, um, which, you know, still challenges me till date. So I think that's the good news about where data and business kind of come together. So yeah, there's a lot that can be done if you know how to think about structuring data to kind of make your businesses run better.
2: During this COVID situation, a lot of uh, sectors especially have got massively impacted. There must have been some like, apprehensions which the people have right while buying new clothes and getting out in the market and all of that right so like how has your experience been uh, how are you tackling that part
1: um so in terms of you know did we get impacted by the pandemic when it hit (laughs) to kind of give you context of what we exactly focus on right now it's on the working woman uh and this was around uh, jan to march 2020 we focus on the working woman and the clothes and accessories she needs for work. Yeah. So now, uh, once the lockdown happened, you know, our first thought was like, okay, who's going to need our services because no one's going into work? And you know, how do we kind of think about this? <laughs> I mean, essentially, as a requirement, we don't exist anymore, right? Um, and you know, I think though, once your back is up against the wall. It also allows you and your team to experiment and experiment very quickly and very dirtily to understand, does this work or not, right? So we introduced new categories uh, for our current audience base, like, uh, you know, homeware, uh, work from home, all of that we did. We also did stuff like loungewear, pajamas, activewear, and maternity And each of these, we launched very, very quickly to understand, okay, is the user going to accept these categories from us? And is there value that we can provide? Because at the end of the day, we're not a regular catalog. Uh, You know, we're not not your vanilla e-commerce site. We're actually a curator and a recommendation service. So we pick products out of all the possible products that could exist in the universe, but we pick the products that are relevant to the user who's come in at that time. So our big question was, okay, can we provide value in these areas? And uh, interesting enough, we could. So that was the one good thing that we did, uh, which allowed us to quickly understand that this works for our users. That gave us the ability Mm -hmm. to reach out to non-working users as well and bring them into the fold. Uh, The second thing that we did, which was purely COVID driven initially, was that uh, we we were a box model, where the user would come in, fill out a form. Based on that form, uh, the algorithms and the human stylist would pick five pieces that would get put in the box and sent to the user. Um, And then she would decide what she wants and what she doesn't. And then that's when the order would be complete. So now if you think about it in the COVID scenario, that much of handling of boxes and clothes and all, everybody will get freaked out, right? And uh, from a logistics perspective and inventory perspective, it just wasn't feasible. So we actually reversed the whole aspect where we said, okay, we're going to show you 15 to 20 products that have been shortlisted for you. Uh, You decide what you want as a user and those pieces only will get sent to you instead of five pieces now. And that actually has worked out phenomenally well, because again, it allows us to onboard users who are not your traditional online fashion shoppers. Uh, While I think online shopping is, you know, for most parts, fantastic. Uh, online fashion shopping has its very strong set of challenges that come along with it. Uh, There is the ability to kind of just be able to find something that you want uh, easily, you know, Uh, you have to kind of determine whether this will work for you or not based on what you're seeing in the catalog. Uh, And then finally, when it gets to you, it may not look like anything that it was, you know, so these problems generally make it difficult for users to find clothes in the regular e-commerce scenario when it comes in. So, which is where a lot of people try not to shop online or they will shop and then they get discouraged. So, the COVID actually allowed us to now onboard a whole bunch of these users who are not your traditional fashion uh, shoppers online. So, that was the good thing that kind of came out of it. Uh, I mean, as you said, people are not
0: going out. Like, how do you, like, what's the requirement that, you know, like, say, a fashion brand or a fashion service?
1: through it? Yes, I I think so. What happens is, you know, as a fashion brand or often as a fashion house, there's a certain aesthetic or a certain uh, ethos that you have to kind of stick by, right? In our case, because we're a service uh, and we are a user-centric service, we're actually identifying what is it that users need. So, so I think being able to figure out what is going on with your users uh, allows you to then quickly introduce products that will make sense or categories that will make sense. So during that time frame, we did not talk about clothes for work at all. We did not talk about clothes for dates or clothes for brunches or clothes for like, you know, going out because who's going out? Right. I mean, that's (laughs) that's the whole thing. So we just spoke consistently about these different categories and these different use cases. And uh, it was amazing. I mean, I think with the pajamas, we saw an uptake that even we didn't expect. We, frankly speaking, did not expect that, Uh, but it was just an unbelievable uptake that we saw.
2: But how do you change the brand image so quickly? Right? I'm sure a lot of your visitors are mostly who are looking for professional so-called uh, outfits.
1: So the good thing was that, you know, we had about uh, two to three months where we we're absolutely kind of in a no operational phase, right? With uh, the lockdown, I mean, there was nothing we could do. Yeah. Uh, so But that's when we kind of started talking more and more about, uh, you know, who we are as a brand, what is it that we do? We started taking series of videos where we spoke about uh, you know how you recognize what kind of body shape you are uh, and you kind of understand that this is who you are this is how you kind of work towards uh, you know making sure you stay fit in a certain way these are the clothes you wear so instead of focusing on a category like even today for us to focus on a category that's not the right approach for us it's all about focusing on the user letting the user know that hey if you want winter wear uh, and it's summertime, we'll do it. If you want summer wear and it's wintertime, we'll do it. Right? Because for us, it's about you. And it's about who you are. So I think for us, for, uh, as a brand also, we had to make sure that we were consistently building that messaging up, where the user understands that it's about her, it's about her needs, it's about who she is, versus any specific category as such.
2: When you started the company, how did you come up with the idea of having the uh, only... Uh, the outfits for women. You know, why wouldn't a family or people go to a website and buy everything for the whole family from there?
1: Yeah, um, you know, women in general have a very deep—they uh, have a deep connection and uh, they have a deep tie with clothing, as such. Uh, it represents uh, more than just a functional need, whereas often for men it doesn't. I mean, I'm making broad stereotypes, right? So please don't hit me or anything of the sort. But uh, women also tend to purchase more often. For men, often the purchase behavior is once a year or once every six months. Uh, For women, it's actually, and when they purchase, they purchase a huge degree, right? Uh, But for women, it's actually every three months, every two months. So for us as a new business, when we're getting out there, one, there is advocacy and loyalty that comes in. Two, the machines and the models also learn with repeat behavior, right? So with the repeat pattern from the woman, it actually is much more easier for us to sit and understand what's happening on a longitudinal basis faster. With men, it would have taken a while, Uh, that was point one. Uh, Two, we also are going after a slightly uh, older crowd, and older being anyone who's 28 and plus. And a lot of our core audience is, uh, they're they're basically working moms or their moms, and uh, really the shopper for the men and the kids in her family. So again, by getting her into our fold, by making her a believer and an advocate of what we do, tomorrow when we launch Men and Kids, it's not that easy to get, it's not that difficult for us to get that user base in as well because she is the referrer.
0: You know, in the beginning, you uh, mentioned this, right? Like it's, it's
1: AI and
0: uh, you know, a stylist, right? And yeah. again, I, I know a little bit based on our previous interactions, but I think it yeah. it's a very in, interesting approach to data, like just you leveraging data as you mentioned, right? If you can yeah. speak a little about that, I think that'll be very interesting for anybody who's listening right
1: now. Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's a pretty meaty topic. And, uh, you know, within the scenario of AI also, there are different branches of AI, right? That is automated intelligence. Uh, and what we actually fall into is the branch called augmented intelligence with the human in the loop. So there is some work that happens with the machines and there is some work that happens with the humans. And the idea of uh, how we're thinking about StyleNook or how things are being built is that the machine and the human are not competing with each other. Uh, They're actually working together and helping each other out, right? So now if you think about it, uh, as a user who comes in, there are lots of different requirements and preferences that I have. For the machine to kind of sit, for the human, sorry, for the human being to kind of sit and remember all of this is actually a lot, right? Uh, But instead the machine can sit and remember this Uh, the machine can identify, uh, you know, what body shape this user belongs to. Uh, Then there are recommendation aspects, which, you know, based on kind of similar to Spotify uh, or Netflix, you know, where we have style genres, similar to music genres. And that actually helps us to, uh, again, put each user into a particular cluster. And again, there are recommendations as to what will work for this user based on her style preferences. So the models actually, uh, let's say there there are a thousand products in our catalog, right? the models work to narrow the selection for a user uh, iteratively. They just keep on like narrowing it. And finally, there may be 25 pieces that are left. Uh, Now the human comes in and looks at those 25 pieces and the human stylist is also matched matched up to the uh, user on the basis of the style preferences. So they're kind of similar in their way of uh, how they relate to clothing. And what the human does is, frankly speaking, bring a very human element to this whole process, right? So we often will get uh, requests from users saying, "Uh, I just got divorced. Uh, Can you please suggest clothes for a date night? Or, you know, I just, uh, I need to go to a baby shower at so-and-so place. Now, there are no clothes that are tagged as baby shower. Uh, You know, there are no clothes that are tagged as date night for a recent divorcee, right? And frankly speaking, sometimes what it needs is an empathy. Uh, it needs empathy. It needs uh, you know understanding, and that's what the human stylist does. She's actually going ahead and building a relationship, and uh, you know it's not a transaction with this user. So that's how they kind of work together in one way. So this is an example of how the machine is helping the human out. How the human stylist helps the machine out is also by. Uh, helping the machine understand what classifies, let's say, as a different genre. Because uh, fashion is in some ways very subjective, right? So you can say that, oh, this is in, this is not in, this is trending, this is, you know, so-and-so style. Uh, But who's making that decision? Who's making that call? So for the machine, however you try and put in like, let's say multiple different attributes that can, you know, maybe classify it as a certain genre, it's not going to work. And it's a lot to build out from an AI perspective to even do that, right? So the human actually helps the machine to figure these aspects out on an ongoing basis. The human stylist helps the machine also to understand what pieces seem to be trending versus the machine figuring it out. Uh, so that allows us to move very, very fast compared to you know, what we'd have to do if we tried to build have it done through the machine. The other thing that I think You know, how you think about this ecosystem is uh, often the machines or the models can take care of, I would say about 90% of the cases. And then the human being actually comes in for those outliers. If you have to have your models take care of every single aspect, right? I mean, in some ways, you're kind of setting yourself up for a very long road. Uh, So that's how we kind of think about the entire scenario. How
2: did you get into entrepreneurship in general? Uh, Would you want to talk about it?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's actually a pretty big position in that sense, uh, because it's not just uh, and there's no glam at all. I mean, I think it looks very glamorous from the outside, but I don't think there's that glam that uh, exists. Uh, I think you get into it because of a few reasons that you identify, right? Whether it's you want to build something, uh, you want to make a difference, you want to kind of have something to kind of call your own. And for some people, they're very clear. They kind of look at it as a way to make a lot of money. Uh, The last one, I kind of think, yes, it is a good reason, but there's no guarantee that you're going to make that money as well, right? So I think you have to be very clear about what is it that is driving you and that is getting you to take this step. Uh, I think in my, uh, I mean, I'm a late founder in that sense, right? Because I started this uh, just as I was kind of hitting my 40s. And, you know, for me, it was more of, uh, as I was thinking about, next steps, uh, I had completed working at ZoomIn, and I was uh, figuring out what my next move should be. And I had some pretty interesting, uh, I would say some pretty interesting opportunities coming from companies like uh, Big Basket, and Book My Show. And, uh, you know, they were honestly speaking, intellectually, very exciting in terms of just what could be done with their data initiatives, and uh, what we could have built out. But I realized that uh, I was looking for something more. And, uh, that's when I kind of, you know, that's when I kind of also realized that, yeah, I was looking to now build something of my own. So it was in that sense, pretty clear for me that this was, you know, what I wanted to do. I thought about it for a little bit. Uh, is this the right step? Is this the right time? And I think one of the ways that kind of made me, uh, go ahead and make this call was that, uh, you know, if I don't do this now, 10 years from now, will I look back and regret that I didn't and the answer was very clearly yes I was like okay
2: and financially that
1: was, that was, and financially i was in a spot where i could uh, you know afford to kind of take this decision that was one so that also made it simpler but i honestly don't think there's ever a right time to do uh, to become an entrepreneur right because at every single point there will be something that you're giving up You know, some people say, it's great to do it when you're younger. Some people say it's great to do it when you're in your 30s. Some people say it's great to do it when you're in your 40s. I think each phase has its own pros and cons from a very intellectual, logical reason. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, it has to be something that you want to do yourself. It just comes from within where you're kind of like, yeah, this is what I need to do. You know, I'm convinced that this is the right thing for me to do uh, internally, regardless of all the logical reasons as well. But then your, priorities, is, I, I,
2: so, then your priorities change, right? Uh, I'm sure that there's that extra bit of time as well as energy and everything which you need to give to a uh, company, which yeah. while doing a job, you might not have to do, correct?
1: So, you can't. I'm, yeah, I mean, depending on what you're doing, you cannot, like, you know, uh, I, I don't think you can actually run something else while you're at a job. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. I think, you know, there will always... I think the priority is not necessarily a very rational priority. Uh, It is more of something from within where you're like, yeah, I need to do this now. You know, uh, I I want to do this now because yeah, there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot that you give up, right? The financial aspect is just one part of it. Uh, Time. I mean, you give up a lot of time. You know, your weekends are gone. uh, Your weeknights are gone. There are months and days where you just, you know, where you kind of suddenly get up and you just realize that. You've just been working non-stop and you're burnt out, right? And you're always, I mean, you're always on the go, whether even if you're outside and you know, you're sitting with your friends and your family, but something will come into your head, which will make you think about work. So you're occupied like 24 by 7. So more than money, I think it's also like the time that is going to go into this. Which to me is far more critical for you know people to think about that, okay, this is a substantial part of my time and my life that is going into building something while there are like your ups and downs or like you know there are your series of downs, and this year there's been a lot of downs right because it's been a tough year overall, uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's like for me, I'm excited about what I have the ability to build out, you know, I have the ability to build something that's different, I have the ability to create a service or create an experience that is very differentiated and that can make an impact. So that gets me excited, that gets me going. And that kind of, you know, is what motivates me to get out of bed and tackle uh, what lies ahead every day. So I think somewhere it has to be, you know, over and beyond just uh, I want to start a company or I want to do something on my own. I do believe it has to be a problem or it has to be an area that really excites you as a founder to kind of just keep going through it. You know to have that conviction to kind of go ahead and make it through day by day month by month you have to have that conviction that you are solving something pretty crucial
2: and was this the only idea which was there in your mind or have you personally faced it how did this come along
1: um so i think a lot of problems often for founders come in from personal problems as well right uh and so in that sense it was that was something that was kind of similar even for Arti and me my co-founder where uh you know we kind of realized that in spite of everything that existed in spite of you know all the technology and all the advances that have happened in the last few years uh when it came to shopping for clothes it still took us a lot of browsing and hunting to just find something that we liked and uh you know, we were like, this. It shouldn't be this complex. It shouldn't be this, like, you know, um, it shouldn't be this difficult. In fact, research. I think I saw recently. Research shows that uh, women look at at least 62 pages before buying one product. That's a lot, right? And uh, and Gagan's like, you know, what are you saying? So I think uh, that's what we're. That's what got us excited. You know, can we solve this? Uh, problem of making it easier to find clothes that you love Uh, but to be honest you know I think we had uh, we had thought about something else uh, which was again similar on the lines of not clothes but a whole bunch of small uh, products and uh, I would say handmade goods but bringing in a very deep level of personalization and curation I think just given our backgrounds right like mine in data which always generally is around personalization at the end of the day and Aati's background in curation, we were very clear that the next wave of e-commerce was going to go beyond search and filter. It was going to have some level of meaning. Uh, You're not just kind of going to a site and trying to figure out what is it that you're there for, uh, but the site is actually working to make life easier for you. So while while what we're doing now is a little different from what we had uh, thought about, but the core principle has remained the same that it's around uh, you know having a much more relevant personalized uh, and a richer experience online in fact so you know one of the things uh, that and i keep using examples which uh, you know which i think relate uh, to a larger audience and because I also am very fond of music. Uh, but I think if you think about Spotify, right? So I think one of the reasons why I enjoy Spotify is obviously, I mean, yeah, there are like, you know, some genres and there's some lists that I'm kind of creating, right? As I'm kind of looking and pottering around. But their editorial team is also kind of making sure that I discover uh, pieces that are uh, different, that I wouldn't have found out on my own. And that human element that is coming in from Spotify's uh, end makes it far more powerful as a listening experience for me than it would have been if the models just kept on like, you know, having me listen to, let's say, uh, pop music of the 70s, right? Because now suddenly there are certain different elements that get introduced that are very cool. And I think that uh, philosophy is something that also comes in for us. So even at StyleNook, one of the things that it happens is there's an editorial team that decides like what are the ensembles or what are the pieces that can go together and those get fed into our back end so that whenever a stylist is picking a piece she will automatically always see all the recommended editorial suggestions for that particular piece and what can kind of go together
2: We know that the early team is very important yeah and not everyone gets an initial funding and you don't have money in hand always, right so like how do you go about creating something when you have to depend a lot on the team and the whole because a lot of our listeners actually might have some ideas yeah but then just not starting because they're just not confident enough of the support they'll be getting both from their peers um in terms of the team which they're trying to build yeah and in general the money aspect yeah
1: so I, I, I'm just thinking, I think it's pretty amazing. I've gone through uh, about half an hour, 45 minutes of this podcast without mentioning my favorite book. Uh, so now great time for me to mention it. A uh, huge, huge like fan of uh, The Lean Startup. Uh, I, I always feel, especially engineers, should always read the book. Uh, I've made our tech team read it. Uh, I think it's important to figure out, and you can figure it out, as to... Uh, is there a need for this service, right? Is there a need for what I'm building? I think that's absolutely important to kind of do it. So, uh, you know, for us, as we were uh, thinking about this service, while let's say to me as a as a person, it sounded like the need of the hour, uh, but what if nobody else needed this? Then what, right? Then, because before I get caught up in, uh, you know, Building out the site before I get caught up in hiring the stylist, before I kind of think about the team, the operations, uh, you know, how is this going to come together? The first fundamental piece for me to understand is, hey, does anyone need this? If no one needs this, then what am I doing? Right? I'm actually wasting my time, and it's actually horrible. You know, I I, I think I have screenshots somewhere just where I'm planning to use it in some sort of a slide, and I've used it occasionally. Uh, so we used uh, I, I built a, I built a site on Shopify within a day. Um, I used I used Survey Monkey to uh, flesh out all the questions. Uh, then the the whole thing came about brand. What should we call ourselves? How should we go about this? So we're like you know what we're not wasting any time on this whatsoever. Uh, we are going to go ahead and call ourselves ANK. A being RT K being Puntal. and that's it. That was this disgusting little logo that kind of went on uh, the left hand side. And that was all, that was our front end experience to the user, right? Uh, which we went ahead and sent out. Now, interestingly enough, we got about, uh, I think we got about 50, 60 uh, users coming in just like that. Uh, and it went viral. You know people just send the link out to the other friends it got posted in office groups uh, so we understood that okay there is a need for this then our second question was do we need to go ahead and uh, you know do we need to? how do we now service this user right can we service her well so even there we did not sit and build an extensive like you know backend we actually uh, used pinterest boards we got all the information from Excel, uh, I sat and made a profile, uh, I made a profile brief which I gave to these two girls who were happy to kind of, uh, who were stylists and were happy to help us out from the goodness of the heart and, uh, you know, they went ahead and then picked clothes from all the online stores and that's how our first 50-60 boxes got done. There was no site, no back end, nothing that's when we said okay now we have the confidence to think about going ahead and building something out right it will be scrappy it will be ugly uh, but if you think about even your own experiences as a consumer right when you really want something you will deal with the most horror experience possible just to get that end product because you want it you know you want it and you're willing to kind of do something to be uh, you know part of that
0: I think it comes down to, I think as you mentioned, I think it's a great point for all of us to like anybody who's listening as well, because they like speed of execution and the focus on the right things, right? Like, yeah. like not name, not the website, the thing is a testing a value proposition. If it yeah. works, then you on to do yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, one of the things that uh, often we get involved and it, it happens like it, it's happened to us also at different parts, right? Is that uh, it's very easy to kind of get involved in what is known as feature bloat, You know, oh, we will need this feature, that feature, uh, this also we need. You know, and sure, maybe one user has asked for it, right? But what does it really do at the end of the day? What does it kind of, you know, help you in achieving your mission in what you're trying to solve? I think that piece is very, very important. So even like at the start, of course, it's a matter of saying, okay, is this overall thing just needed? But I think even as you go through your journey and you're constantly iterating and building, it's very critical to ask that, oh, is this something that is really going to add value? Is this something that's really going to make a difference? Because sure, I think building something again is very, very easy. You know, uh, It may take money. It may take time. But the true thing is actually understanding and identifying, do we need this? And how does it make our user's life easier? Right? So, you know, for example, one of the questions we get asked all the time, uh, from various people and, you know, especially a lot of uh, people are not, who are not our core customers, but we get asked about this is that, uh, do, you, do you think it would make sense to offer extensive stylist consults to uh, the users? And would that make it better? And we're like, you know, we've actually even tried that to see if it does anything. And frankly speaking, a lot of users don't take it up. And then if we think deeply about the problem, we know why. The service is meant for women who don't have the time to shop on their own or who don't like have the inclination to do a lot of, you know, browsing and hunting. So if that is her headspace and that is a psychographic, naturally having a stylist chat to sit and talk about things also is not often very appealing to her, right? Uh, You know, it's something that she likes as a reward or as a perk once in a while, but it's not something that she wants to happen all the time. So that particular feature, while it's exciting for a user, it is not exciting for my particular user. So th- does it change over time? For example, you started in this extremely scrappy,
0: like the extreme startupy way you could do. Does yeah. it change over time? You have to like force yourself to, you know, stay true. Do, like not two in the sense that use the same methodology over and over again because it just makes sense from a first principle perspective.
1: Yeah. So that- I... Yeah, so I think, I mean, when the MVP comes in, right, uh, or when you read The Lean Startup, one of the things that he actually talks about, which, uh, again, you know, is critical, he shows like how you go from, you know, walking to a bicycle to a motorbike to a car, right? But at no point do you actually introduce a, a broken bicycle into the market. So while your experience may be scrappy, Uh, It should not be crap. (laughs) I think that is like you know the number one thing that you kind of have to be clear about, right? I cannot create an experience that is absolute garbage at any point in time because that's not cool. Uh, I can figure out how to kind of do something in a in a scrappy way which allows me to go to market sooner, but I also have to have the game plan of how I will shift to something more sophisticated, right? Uh, So. While, let's say it could have been tempting for us to have continued on SurveyMonkey and ANK forever, uh, you know, we clearly knew that this was not an ideal way to go and it didn't make any sense, right? So within a few months, we actually launched our actual site with the name and brand and all of that in place. Uh, so I think there are different phases at which you kind of need to do it at. And then also you, you can decide how you want to position this, right? Uh, if you, let's say, position this as an alpha launch or as a beta launch, there is still some, I would say, you have some freedom or you have the ability to do a few things. But if you're saying that, oh, I'm going to market and I'm trying to hit everybody possible, then yeah, you need to have a few things in place. You know, you. know, So it depends on what you are doing and what you're stating publicly. Are you in that position to service the user well?
2: How did actually your 15-year experience, right, in marketing analytics, I'm sure that is one of the primary reasons why you are talking about user and analyzing the whole experience right how does the what all did you learn there back in u.s and then in india which has kind of contributed now to your journey
1: over the years i mean obviously all the you know the technical skills there's the there's the you know knowledge etc which you kind of bring into different paths. Uh, so, you know, because I had a very data-oriented background uh, for the last, you know, several years in the Valley, when I moved to India, I had to take up a position on marketing and data and retention, but that background actually helped me to apply uh, to apply like data to uh, the data set that existed at ZoomIn, uh, understand patterns that were there and see like, you know, what is it that we could do around the business that would enable us to Jump in terms of revenue and profitability without spending a lot, uh, and you know it, it was easy again to observe the user behavior and the cycles and build models to say that yeah this is what's going to work at this particular time versus that, uh, and it and it played out uh, so that was the good news I think, you know the knowledge I'm saying, the knowledge and the understanding I think that's you know one, uh, but I I think what over the last like you know the fifteen years of work experience what I think the couple of things that it does is that uh, There is just resilience that kind of comes in around a lot of aspects which just allow you to, I would say, weather certain storms. You don't get phased very easily. Uh, You don't get shaken very easily because uh, I think you're just older. And in the scheme of things, you know that, yeah, this is a blip. Uh, This is, you know, something that's not great, uh, but you will kind of figure out how to make your way through it, right? Uh, That's one. I think the second, at least for me, over the years, uh, there is a certain level of sharpness around how I think, uh, you know, in terms of critical thinking and logical, while it's always been a very core strength, uh, but I think it's maybe it's it's gotten fine tuned, you know, far more in terms of just uh, how to deal with things or how to kind of assess something. Uh, and then I think the third is probably also a sense of boundaries as to what you will do and what you will not do. Right. So, are points where i will like you know just not take a decision uh, later in the day because i know now how my brain works and i know that the chances are if i make a decision later in the day it's likely to be a idiotic one it may not be a good decision because i'm fatigued i'm tired and i recognize that i'm not in a good place so i think just i think the 15 years also you know gives you the confidence of the ability to say you know what i'm not going to do this now I don't have to get it done right now. I'm going to do it tomorrow first thing. uh, And meanwhile, I'll finish something else. So I've actually categorically even told my team a couple of times that don't discuss this with me right now. I can't digest a thing. Uh, But first thing in the morning, I will call you and figure out what it is that you are trying to say. Because I don't even want to hear something right now. I won't be able to do a good job.
0: And is this purely a function of like the experience that you've seen the same, like similar situation over and over again, that you develop this self-awareness, you do not work it. it, you just push it off to tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's either, uh, you know, experiences or, you know, I think self-awareness and introspection is something that everyone should be doing across the board. Uh, I think one thing I've always done throughout my career is uh, every like, Few months, I do take a check-in to see that with myself to be like, hey, am I at a good spot? Uh, is this great? Am I uh, am I learning? Am I kind of having a blast? Uh, am I being pushed? Uh, so I kind of do those introspection checks throughout. You know, so in that sense, uh, I think you it is important to kind of have a good understanding of what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Uh, I think you that uh, as soon as you can do it, it's great. But sometimes it may just kind of take a while to get there and sometimes even if it takes it you may know it but you may not have the ability to call it out right uh, you may not have the you may not hold the position to call it out or you may not uh, have the confidence to call it out and say that hey I can't do this but I think in general if you do people are actually okay with it people are okay with like you know uh, being told that hey I can't do this right now because of xyz uh, but I will do it at this point versus shoddy performance coming in
2: you were working in Yahoo when that yeah. uh, great depression, economic depression happened, right? Uh, what was your experience back then? This was just like out of the blue. Curious about uh, like, 2008, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, in some ways, I think the valley was almost um, a little, like, I would say a little protected from that. De- it wasn't as, from the depression, it wasn't as severe as uh, the 2001 was. That was a pretty severe one. Uh, The valley in some ways was a little okay uh, compared to like the East Coast, right? Uh, Even in 2007 or 2008, there were uh, people who were discussing new ideas, new jobs. If you'd walk around the cafes, business plans were being looked at and all of that. So that was still happening. I think uh, for me, it was actually uh, a different scenario also because at Yahoo, uh, there was a lot of uh, internal changes happening. The company was going through a lot of rapid changes in, in general. So that overtook like, you know, whatever economic uh, scenarios <laughs> were happening. But yeah, I don't think, I mean, the you know, the 2008 depression wasn't as severe for the Bay Area as it was for, uh, I think the East Coast and wasn't as severe as the 2000 uh, impact, the dot-com uh, bubble burst was. That was actually a far more uh, rapid one.
2: And you started back then, right? In
0: I, was not in
1: the, I was not in the Valley in 2000, but I had a lot of yeah. good friends who were. So, you know, just, I mean, just uh, like, I know the reason I know this is because they would tell me how, uh, when they would go looking for apartments in 2000, the landlord would beg them to take the place, you know, and uh, landlords never, I mean, landlords never beg tenants to do anything in the Bay Area because there is such a premium, right? Uh, And they would actually beg them, like my friend was begged to take a three-bedroom and he was on his own at that time. He's like, I don't need a three-bedroom. But he was one of the few people who had come in with a paycheck, who had a salary, who had a job. The question was around this this women in tech, the conversation around that. Hmm.
0: That is so much required. And like, given that you have been that person, right? What has your on-ground experience been like? Like, have you like felt in any uh, way with like at a disadvantage because of your gender? And uh, whatever that like, you're comfortable talking about, uh, yeah, it'd yeah, be yeah. very crucial to know the ground reality more than anything else. Yeah,
1: sure. Um, you know, I haven't. I, I don't think I have ever experienced anything explicit uh, where, and I and I count myself, frankly speaking, lucky because I do know a lot of people who have. Uh, who have been mocked uh, down on or who have actually been ridiculed for x y z aspects um, and i haven't faced that and i and that's something I found myself lucky that i haven't encountered that kind of person who would do that uh, so that is definitely something I have seen i think uh, you know there is though there is always this aspect that you do kind of wonder about uh where you know you see how um you see how like, you know, a reaction is towards a guy who's talking about this versus a woman. Uh, There have been, there have been definitely scenarios of like, you know, someone saying something condescending, like telling me about cohort curves or telling me about SAS and SPSS and, it depends on the kind of mood I'm in. Uh, if I'm in a mood, I'll just like, you know, kind of humor myself and see what this person says. And I just want to see how far, down, how far down the line do they go in explaining something, which I have built on my own. And then sometimes I'll just say, listen, I've done this in XYZ aspect, right? So that typically puts somebody in their, in their place. Uh, but it's interesting to me because, you know, my title kind of pretty much says uh, what what I know and what I do. Uh, And yet, you know, there is often this element of like, oh, you may not know this and let me show you. And uh, I'll just, I find it very surprising. Uh, But to be honest, I mean, it's not something I spend energy on. Because it's one aspect I can't really change, right? So for me to kind of get worked up about it, or for me to get like annoyed about it, I have you know I, there have been statements where like somebody would have told me that yeah maybe it would help if you had a big brother in the business and uh, I understand what that person is saying you know that they would love it if there was a male uh you know founder or there was a male uh founding member uh and that's not something I'm going to do so I'm not going to spend energy time getting annoyed about it it's just one of those things
0: and uh I think I've, I've had these conversations with, you know, like we both have like with a sort of, you know, friends and, you know, colleagues that we've worked with, there are small, small instances that happened and all like, and like just from like you, one thing you mentioned is just like ignore it, move on, control where you can, right? I think just, I think as all of us can only do that, right? But any specific like general piece of advice you would want to give any person who's, you know, any, any say, girl or woman who's facing this? Yeah.
1: You yeah. know, yeah. I, um, you know, I think there are certain uh, aspects which are inherent uh, in terms of just, you know, the 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 aspect that and I see this actually amongst a lot of women, right, where if something does happen, if something is kind of, you know, uh, if there is any scenario of discrimination or being put down, it's very easy for a lot of women to assume that this was something that they brought on uh, and they actually called for it. And, uh, you know, there must be something wrong in what they've done. There must be, you know, something that is not making sense. And I would actually say, like, resist the temptation to do that. uh, Because, you know, that's, uh, that definitely may be something that is more inherent. The other thing that I have noticed, and I'm I'm actually also like guilty of this, uh, is that uh, in general, I think women, uh, they talk about, uh, they talk about like, you know, their achievements or what they've done. uh, They brag less uh compared to uh, men and in different and if you're working and if you're and, and honestly if you're working in like you know tech uh, you're working with engineers i i've actually seen that can actually be a pretty big issue right because uh, often engineers and you know will be very confident about what they're saying and i've had this issue as well where i remember once uh, there was something i was discussing with somebody in the us uh, and, and one of my it was my like one of my favorite pms to work with And he said, this is this, this is this, and this is this, right? And I don't know what prompted me to kind of just look at him in the eye and say, are you sure? Uh, And then he said, no, I'm actually not. I said, okay, why don't you go back and uh, look it up and then come back with an answer. But had I not asked that question, he would have gone ahead 100% in his belief, right? Um, And I think that confidence level is actually something that uh, often, you know, women may not have it with that level of brag or that level of confidence it does not happen those can cause different kind of interesting scenarios for uh, I think women especially if they're in the tech scenario you know because they're surrounded also by this uh, environment and I don't know Gagan if that's something you would have seen uh, in your departments where you know women are present that is possible then I think the last uh, I actually recently read a book which made a lot of sense to me and I gave it to somebody as a who was a, who was facilitating women uh, leaders i think or women, who was for women are moving into middle positions it's uh, called uh, be brave not perfect and it's written by this woman called reshma uh, i keep forgetting her na- last name reshma salujan uh, and she actually has started a whole stem chapter in uh, the us she focuses on uh, bringing women into coding uh, she focuses on uh, women in tech So that book actually is very powerful. It highlights some key differences as to how, you know, both the genders react and what happens. And there's a lot of great insights for women as to how to position themselves in the workplace, how to kind of think about different aspects. Uh, And it's a very quick, easy read.
2: Hello, Gavin, do you have any Uh, follow-up?
0: Am yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. You, are.
0: Huh. Yeah, you, are. you guys were frozen for me. Okay, cool. Uh, so, Gundal, I think this is this one segment we have started doing on the podcast, wherein you know uh, you've been kind enough to be with us, share your thoughts, etc. We just want to have this another whatever a few minutes to just what's going on with your like whatever, like your startup, anything that you think could the potential audience, you know, you know, maybe if
1: you're hiring or just anything. In uh, just, wherein we can, can help you, you in some
0: regard. Sure, yeah.
1: sure uh you know i think we have undertaken a pretty radical uh change and shift in our uh, in our entire experience uh whether you know it's just the different categories or in terms of how our, how we're positioning or the entire online uh so any feedback on you know what we could do from a front-end experience from the user experience anything that you know makes sense doesn't make sense more than happy to kind of hear it we're in that process where there's a lot of work that is happening. And there are a lot of changes that we're making to the back end to just constantly make it a better user experience. So fresh, uh, you know, new perspectives are always welcome. We'd love to hear it.
2: Yeah. yeah. And anything just quickly for us, like, how can how was your experience being here? Oh, it
1: was fun. It was casual. And uh, I hope that's something that I've shared with the community that they can enjoy.
2: Thanks, Gunthal. Thanks a lot for your time.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks, Ritesh. Bye, okay. Gagan.